Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceilings does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. With me once again, back from the motherland, Johnny the Jew Mandel. Yo, yo. I am Johnny the Gentile Profita, and we are Peddling Fiction, the Jew and the Gentile edition. What's going on, man? How you been? Not much. Just uh, had a nice long weekend. And uh, back to the grind. Yeah, reacclimating myself with the American news cycle. That's always fun. So you want to tell the viewers a little bit about where the fuck you've been for the last month? month yeah, so uh, we, were in, uh, we were in Spain, Spanish island of Mallorca. Ate well, drank well, beached well, and then uh, spent a week in, uh, in Israel, the homeland. Where I, we went to the beaches there, we're kind of like, well, before we got there, man, those beaches in Spain are really nice. And then we got to Israel, we're like, man, those beaches in Spain are awful. So, yeah, it was, it was good. Ate even better, drank even better, beached even better. So, a lot of, lot of few weeks of, of sun, sand, fun on the beach. So, it was good. Nothing to do and all day to do it? Yeah, lots of... Uh, same same sea, Spain and Israel, Mediterranean. I've never so. been to Spain. I have, as you know, been to Israel. Where do you guys stay in Israel? Do you stay with like Hans' parents or oh, something? Yeah, I always stay with our parents. So well, sometimes we'll do like a, a night in sort of like a little bit of a, a resort location. But uh, this time we we stayed all uh, all the time in her parents' place. So, which is comfortable. Her her parents like have basically a place for like three or four kids and only. One of them remains, so yeah, it's cool. Do the rest of them live in Israel still? They just moved out. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all within like a fifteen twenty minute car ride. How was your fourth? It was good. Yeah, I spent a day on the lake in Wisconsin and uh, just hung out, drinking, swimming. Yeah, it was overall great, great, great overall weekend. And as you know, the weekend before we even got a nice little grill on you and I. Yeah, I mentioned that on my last podcast, actually. I, I told everybody you were alive, <laughs> <laughs> that I had seen you. And uh, yeah, I, you know, 4th of July is definitely one of my favorite holidays to celebrate. You always have nice weather compared to some of the other holidays like Christmas or Thanksgiving, Easter. You know, it was scorching hot this year, but it, it, it sure as hell beats December in Chicago or Wisconsin for that matter, which is... Usually where I spent them, I was, I've also spent a few in Minnesota. Do not recommend that. But I don't, I don't know if there's anything I like to do more than just like be outside with friends, grilling, drinking, eating, lighting off fireworks. It is a very, I guess I'd say 
bittersweet holiday to actually celebrate. You know, when I sit back and I think about the ideas that the founders had, what they were trying to create with this country, because I I do have a lot of respect for what the founders were trying to create and the ideas that this nation was built on, these these revolutionary ideas of limited government, individualism, inalienable rights, free markets. And, you know, it was it was so unique and and it was a privilege to be an American because America was supposed to be something different. We weren't supposed to be just like some other country, some other European country. And when you listen to the vast majority of people out there today, it just seems like everyone has forgotten if they ever knew to begin with what the what the role of government was supposed to be in America. You know, countries all countries can have a different role for their government, but in America, it was supposed to be something different. If you read the Declaration of Independence, it's it's very clear. You get a great sense of what America was supposed to be and what the role of that government was supposed to be. The government was instituted to secure our inalienable rights that we already had as people. The government was created by the people that it was supposed to govern. It wasn't this top-down thing that you have in all, all throughout Europe with kings and queens and stuff like that. The, the people, I, the idea is, and I, there are problems with this idea, but the idea is, in theory, that the people were ceding some of their power to the government in order to secure their their natural rights. So the main problem with that is that we are ceding power to a government that we never had in the first place. And I've gone through that in previous episodes, so I'm not going to get into it now. But it's very important to understand that rights don't come from government. They don't come from some bureaucrat in Washington. The whole point of having a government in America was to secure rights that we already had from being infringed upon by others, to make sure that our rights to life, to liberty, and the pursuit of happiness weren't being impeded by other people. The role of government in America was never supposed to be this nanny state where they provide us with everything from food, shelter, to education. Government does not exist to give you stuff. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. And for one thing, it can't. Government doesn't have anything to give that it hasn't first taken from somebody else. And government is not here to provide you with happiness. It's supposedly here to allow you to pursue happiness. But achieving happiness, that's supposed to be up to you. And you have to pursue it without infringing upon other people's rights. There is... A tremendous misconception about what a right is. People seem to think that anything that's important to them, anything that they like, is some kind of human right. You, know, you hear this all the time. Education is a human right. Housing is a human right. Healthcare is a human right. I, my God, listening to the Democratic debates, it, it was unbelievable how far we've strayed from our, our original founding principles of limited government individualism, and free markets. All they talked about was, quote-unquote, free stuff the government was going to provide for people. Very few people seem to know what, it's, what it means to be independent. Independence Day wasn't just about independence from Britain, okay? It was about being an independent individual 
a rugged individual, self-reliance. We should probably just rename Independence Day Dependence Day because it seems like the majority of people just have their hands out expecting the government to provide them with things. They only look to government for what it can give them that they don't have but that they want. And there's this this sense of entitlement that is, is so foreign to me and, and it just drives me crazy. Like, everybody just thinks that they should be provided with things, provided with an education, provided with health care, provided with housing, provided with food, provided with shelter. Yes, those things are all very important. And I, believe me, I want everybody to have those things. But I'm sorry, those are not rights. That's not what a right is. You don't have the right to stuff. You don't have positive rights, okay? You have what are referred to as negative rights. You have the right not to be killed, okay? You don't have a right to something that has to be provided by somebody else. So in other words, your rights cannot impose an obligation on somebody else to provide it to you. You have to be able to exercise your rights if you are stranded alone on a desert island. You can't have health care as a human right because somebody has to provide you with the health care. That's somebody's labor. That's somebody's time. That's somebody's energy, you know. By you calling it a right, you're saying that you have a claim to that other person's labor, that you can essentially enslave them. But then that conflicts with their right to pursue, you know, their liberty to not be coerced into providing health care to people. I mean, I'm going kind of down a rabbit hole here, but my point is, I guess, while I do enjoy the 4th of July, I can't help but just be disappointed at the at the state of things and, and notice how many rights and liberties we've sacrificed for the government's false promises of security. You know, we started with the smallest government in the world, and the idea was supposed to be, like Thomas Jefferson said, to bind it down in the chains of the Constitution. And now we have the largest government in the world. We have more rules, more regulations, less freedoms than ever before. We have the largest prison population in the world. You can't even open a goddamn lemonade stand without pulling a permit. We have confiscatory tax rates far higher than anything the Founding Fathers could have ever imagined. You know, the tax on tea, the, the tax that King George was trying to impose on tea that led to this whole taxation without representation thing was like 3%. Could you imagine? Could you imagine what the Founding Fathers would, would be doing if they knew we were voluntarily handing over 30 40 50% of our income to the federal government in taxes? They would have never declared independence from from England. We would have we would have been better off staying under the rule of, of King George. Like look at look at Hong Kong. Like how how well they've done. Well, there's a few things there. One, England itself has a very high tax rate. It's probably higher than the U.S.'s tax rate. Yeah, but, it's probably approaching fifty percent. Right, but look what they do to their territories because. You know, one of my one of, I mean, I have so many issues with democracy, yeah. but one of the things that I really hate about it is that it sort of legitimizes everything that the government does because people buy into this like fantasy that it's almost like this religion, this religious belief, you know, this government that's of the people, by the people, for the people. And it's like, you know, we are one with the government. 
And so it's like we're doing it to ourselves and we have this, you know, we have these uh, representatives and I mean, it's all just a bunch of nonsense, but it, it sort of gives legitimacy to everything that the government does. And when you have when you have a foreign ruler that's like ruling over you, it's it's a lot more naked with the control that they have. And it's harder for them to sort of um, abuse you to the yeah. extent that they, that you're allowed to abuse your own citizens because you've tricked them into thinking that they're doing it for themselves. Yeah, I mean, so I'll just do the half glass full argument. A lot still happens in the U.S. that, you know, most likely or on the average does not happen in other places around around the world. And you can point to a lot of things. You can point to sort of the free market system. You can point to the fact that there are um, there is probably much less racism and sort of all those negatives that you, that, you know, kind of people associate with holding people back. So. You know, in, in that sense, there's there's a lot of great things to celebrate. Could yeah. it be better? Yeah, but I'm sure every country in the world, you know, says that says that their country could be better. It kind of goes to like, you know, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others, right? So, I mean, I know that I know that saying. I I, I kind of disagree. I I think democracy is terrible. Um, but I mean, that's going to be a, a topic for a whole other. Yeah, that's more of a theoretical, philosophical. I mean, but again, that's the government we live under, and and again, you point to some other countries in the world. You know, they've got they've got their issues as well. So. Absolutely, I just, I mean, I can't help but notice that it's just so ironic that on the Fourth of July, you're constantly reminded of just how little freedom you actually have throughout the day. Everything that you do, you know, fireworks illegal, drinking outside illegal. Dog off the leash or dog at the beach, illegal. Bonfires, illegal. You have DUI checkpoints. <laughs> Police, like, search your bags and coolers if you're going to a park or something like that. There's no alcohol in the park, no open containers, no alcohol on the beach. There's nothing you can do anymore that doesn't require, like, a permit. Can't have, like, a lemonade stand. It, it, I mean, it's just... Is that true? <laughs> yeah, dude, yeah, you, yeah, you will get like uh, the cops will come and shut down your lemonade stand yeah. if you don't if you don't go to like city hall and pull a permit for it. It's I mean the it, I just can't help but notice that this um, and the Fourth of July is like a great reminder for me that this experiment that the founders were trying to go for in limited government, you know, bind the government down in the chains of the Constitution. It was just it's just a, a complete failure in my opinion. Yeah, and it's never been. Um, more obvious on any other day, I guess. But anyways, I still had fun on the 4th of July. Yeah. <laughs> I still, you know, celebrated what freedoms I have left. Did some grilling, hung out with some friends, you know, watched some fireworks. So it was good. Anyway, you have some things that you want to talk about today. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, let's focus on some specific issues. All so right. what do you got? Uh, all right, so New York Times... 15 CBO did a, a um, study, $15 minimum wage. This is the title of the New York Times article. $15 minimum wage would reduce poverty but cost jobs, Congress told in report. A bill to increase the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2025 would lift 1.3 million people out of poverty but also put an estimated 1.3 million Americans out of work. Wait, so how many out of poverty? One point. 1.3 million out of poverty and 1.3 million out of work. Okay. So that's a wash. 
it, I mean, well, depends on how you look at it. I mean, that's that's either kind of awful or great or or awful and great. Yes. So, well, I, I will say this about so that what the CBO does, and it's very deceptive because it like all they do is they take data from outside sources and they sort of crunch the numbers. Yeah. So does it say where they were getting this this study from? Or I'm not sure. I think that's a pretty sure. like politically neutral argument saying that a lot of people would make more and a lot of people would be out of work. Mm -hmm. So now the question becomes, is that a good thing, a bad thing? Like how, how can we, how can we judge us on, on its merits? Yeah. Well, right off the bat, the first thing I think about is how, how they measure the jobs that never get created because the business can't afford to pay $15 an hour for whatever the job would be. Okay. So you have the, you have the old, the seen versus the unseen. I know we've talked about that before. I don't think those episodes actually aired, but Frederick Bastiat, the seen versus the unseen. So you don't know how many jobs aren't created because you can't really prove a negative. And there, right. there'll be plenty of jobs and you, you see it today. Um, some of the best examples of this would be, you know, at the grocery store where you're doing the self checkout now, or gas stations, you know, you used to have pump jockeys who would like wash your windows, pump your gas, check your tire pressure, whatever. And now you kind of do all that stuff on your own. Right. All those jobs were eliminated because of the, these minimum wage increases because they don't provide th that whatever the minimum wage is, they don't provide that amount of value. Well, let's say you could pay, let's say, you know, a gas station would pay someone $3 an hour and above that it's just not worth it. Cause it's, you know, people can pump their own gas. Mm -hmm. I would say that job's probably not going to get created because no one's going to work for that amount. Well, I mean, they might, or they might not because right. I, another thing that the pump jockey's got to do, you know, in between filling up, uh, cars with gas or whatever was they got to, you know, change oil or they got to learn how cars worked from mechanics and maybe, you know, maybe they get, like develop a passion for it and they yeah. become a mechanic or something like right. that. You're they, saying it was like an apprenticeship. Almost. Yeah, almost. Yeah. So you're, I mean, the fact that those jobs existed, <laughs> I would argue proves that, um, there was a market for them and that people would take those jobs if they were available. Um, I would just, I would much rather have the, you know, have the decision between two free people, whether or not you want to take that job for $3 an hour, then eliminate it. And one of the things that drives me crazy when the government passes these laws is every time, I mean, I was just talking about all these freedoms we've lost. Every time they pass a new law or regulation, we become less free by definition. And I've never understood the theory behind taking a look around at what what people have decided to do, right? What the, the choices that people have made, you know, in this case, they've chosen to work job X at, at the minimum wage. And the government takes a look around and says, oh, no, 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 we don't like that. That's not enough money. We, we don't think that's enough money. We think you deserve more. You should be being paid more. We're going to make that illegal. Okay, we're going to make that job that you have illegal. And if, you, if they want to give you a job, they have to pay you more. So you're basically looking around at, at what people have decided to do. They have they have options in front of them, right? They can do X, Y, and Z. They choose X. The government then proceeds to make X illegal, and somehow that's going to make them better off. Like they've obviously decided that X was 
the best thing that that they could do in that scenario. And now all you've done by by passing a minimum wage that's above the wage that they were earning is essentially make that job illegal. You've eliminated the one choice that they've actually made, and somehow you think that that's going to make them better off. I've never understood that. And it, well, we already have a minimum wage. I know. So it, we, you would, I don't think you would really be like minimizing the freedom anymore. You just you're changing. Well, if you raise it, if you raise it, if you double it to fifteen. Yeah, but you're not. Again, you're not adding a, a new law. You're just changing an existing law. Yeah, but it's going to affect more people now. True, but, anybody but that, with inflation, worth, which has been like crazy. Yeah. Basically, you know, and fifteen dollars an hour now is probably even less than seven fifty or whatever it is yeah. was twenty. Was years that ago. a federal minimum wage? Is that what they were talking about in the yeah. study? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing is just state to state, it's crazy. To, like the cost of living is just so different. You can't have a fifteen dollar minimum wage in like Missouri. I mean that. that that's the thing is like right now, most states are kind of taking this into their own hands. So I guess that's the one, that's the one wrinkle. Like I am personally for an aggressive minimum wage and I get the automation thing. I get that those jobs might not be created. I, I get all those things, but you know, overwhelmingly it's just, it's hard to survive at $8 an hour, $9 an hour. I mean, I don't know how people do it, especially in some of these locations. Like, I get in certain locations it, it might be easier to survive or it's a good high school job or a good first job. So those those I absolutely agree with. I do think it, it should be localized. So for instance, if Illinois, you know, increased their minimum wage fifteen dollars an hour over time, I, I get that. Versus like Mississippi is gonna keep it at, you know, eight or nine dollars because it's more rural and just uh the cost of living is so much less. But the real minimum wage is zero. All right. And if you if you price somebody out of the market that just because you raise it to fifteen dollars an hour and they're making twelve doesn't mean that they get to make fifteen dollars an hour now. They could just get laid off. And so before when they were making twelve dollars an hour, now they're making zero. There's gonna be people that are on the bubble, you know, yeah, we can bump him up to like fifteen or whatever, but everybody else that doesn't provide that amount of value is, is not gonna have any job. And so they're not gonna be making anything. I, I and just, then it's yeah. harder for them to get an entry level position because at fifteen dollars an hour, now you have to compete with people that actually have skills. And so if, if you're an employer and you're choosing between, you know, some teenage kid with no skills <laughs> and, you know, like a college graduate now. You're, and you have to pay that person $15, you're going to go with the, the college grad. And, the, and these people who, who need those entry-level positions are never going to get them. Yeah, I mean, part of what I think the effect of a higher minimum wage will happen, like let's say you know, restaurants now had to pay their workers instead of like $10, $12 an hour, they had to go up to 15 over time. I think what's going to happen is the restaurant's going to raise prices. It's going to be more expensive for everyone else. Right. So basically what a higher minimum wage will do in my mind is it's a tax on other people. And so for me, that's a worthwhile trade off that, yes, you're getting taxed basically to eat at restaurants, to, to, you know, to buy stuff from Walmart, whatever it might be. But I think it's a a worthwhile tax, a more direct tax than than some other taxes that exist that are kind of like you know, we'll, we'll tax it and we'll invest it like, you know, like social security. Right. I think that has bigger problems than like a, a tax that's similar to like, you know, a uh, minimum wage increase. 
I don't think I don't think tax is the right word because you're not well you're not forced to pay it. Okay, you can choose to eat at the restaurant. Yes, the prices will go up, and a lot of the burden of that higher wage will be shifted onto consumers. Absolutely, prices will prices would have to increase because the employer just cannot eat a 50% increase in the cost of their labor. They just can't do it, especially in a, the restaurant industry. The, the profit margins aren't there, so they'll have to raise prices. But if they raise prices too much, they'll lose customers. You know, People will eat out less, and they might end up going out of business. Then where's the person with the minimum wage job? Now he doesn't even have a restaurant to work in. And then the, the other issue with that is, you're asking everybody to pay more for the stuff that they consume to fund an artificially high wage. I don't I don't think that makes anybody else better off. So yeah, maybe now that person can earn can earn $15 an hour, but the person who has to buy the 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 $20 hamburger now in order to to fund his job, he's worse off. He's got less money in his pocket. And then any increase in wage that the minimum wage worker is getting is going to be burned on on the increase in prices of everything that they buy. Because minimum wage people have to buy the same goods and services that other people do from other minimum wage workers, right? So if the price of if, if everything has to go up to adjust for this minimum wage, they're going to end up spending, dedicating a larger portion of their paycheck to all the things that they buy too. People who earn minimum wage, they they tend to shop at places that also pay minimum wage, you know, like Walmart. You know, if the if Walmart has to fund a $15 minimum wage, they're going to have to raise the cost of their goods. So, whatever gain that they're making on the on their salary will be offset by the cost the, by the increased cost of all the goods and services that they have to buy, assuming they don't get laid off. But can I ask you something? Yeah. Why why fifteen dollars an hour and not twenty dollars an hour, or twenty five or thirty? Because if fifteen is good, isn't twenty better? Yeah. I mean, I think this is where like pragmatism takes over, right? It's like you have to recognize, okay, if you go up too high, then you're gonna put like X amount of businesses out, you know, like out of business. So I, I think you have to. I mean, like. I think some increase is better than no increase. So right now, and again, federal state, I don't know what it is. Like this Illinois state one's probably like, you know, eight or $9 an hour at this point. So if you said it's going to go up 50 cents for the next 10 years, I would be in favor of that. Now, if you said it'd go up to like $2 over the next 10 years. I mean, the problem is that all those issues that you're worried about, if you raise it too high, like if you make it $30 an hour or $50 an hour, those problems still exist at every level. The problems don't go, the issues never change. They yeah. just get, they just affect more and more people the higher up you go. I mean, I think you just like all throughout sort of society and government decisions, it is a bunch of arbitrary decisions. Like why is the high ta- highest tax rate? 35%. Why is it not 40%? Why is it not 45%? And so I think, you know, part of the people making these decisions is true. It's not a free market, right? True. It's arbitrary, but I think this is where there has to be a little bit of art to it. It's not so much of a science. 
No, that's exactly the problem, is that it's completely arbitrary. You have a bunch of bureaucrats in Washington who have never run a business, who have never had a job, trying to determine what the what the cost of labor should be for th- across the entire country for 320 million people. It's ridiculous. So I think... Why can't you let the market determine the prices? Because the market has determined the prices and it's not a livable wage for a lot of people. And that's the problem. And so... I guess, like, what what does livable mean? What are you what are you entitled? What, what is livable? You get like a it's below a poverty wage or below a poverty living. But livable is such a, a subjective term. You get you get cable, AC, high speed internet, a car. I don't think you get high two speed bedrooms and cable. Well, I'm just asking yeah. you what livable means. I think yeah, I mean because livable means different things to everybody. Well, I think there's probably like a basket of goods that the government defines as like the poverty line and you know, that's, that's basically like, yeah. are you below or above the poverty lines? Well, the idea that a wage is supposed to provide you with a living is a fantasy. It's a fantasy created by government. I know it makes great politics, but that's not how economics works. The, the wage is, is determined by what value you're providing to the marketplace. It's not like, Oh, like you have to be able to, you know, raise three kids on this wage. It's, it's not the, the job is what the job is. And the value is what you're providing to others. You can't just artificially decide how much that job is worth. Yeah. But I would just say like, in my mind, like society's like has a basket of like taxes that, you know, or the government has a bunch of like tax at their disposal, right? They're taxed in certain ways. They're paying out in other ways. And so out of all those things, like I would say a higher minimum wage is probably the most effective way to reward people for working versus like, you know, food stamps or, you know, versus like um, unemployment, like unemployment uh, payments. Like basically what you're saying is, I mean, I don't even know how you, how you get the wage up that much. You know, maybe a good solution to this is instead of a higher minimum wage, get rid of the social security. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of taxes that they could get rid of on businesses and the burden yeah. of regulations and stuff like for, that. For their that would, lowest, for their lowest wages employees. Would, right. Well, for all of them, why not all of them? Because how, you know, if you want to, if you're talking about freeing up capital from businesses so that they can expand and pay their, you know, hire more people and pay their workers more, stop stealing money from them. Really the best thing that we could do is return to sound money. Because, and I I know I think I made this point the last time we talked about the minimum wage, but the original minimum wage was $1.25 an hour. But back then we were on a a gold standard. $1.25 was worth an ounce and a quarter of silver. Okay. An ounce of silver right now is it's, it's a little over $15 an ounce. So if we had just maintained sound money, if we didn't have a Federal Reserve in f- creating all this inflation and destroying your purchasing power, you could be making the original minimum wage of a dollar twenty-five, and you would have almost twenty dollars an hour worth of purchasing power. That's the problem. We need to return to sound money. All of these things that government d- does, all of these band aids that you're talking about, this is at the heart of the problem. The, the government as you said, steps in artificially, starts fucking with the free market, okay? They create all these problems, 
and then they they create these a solution to fix that problem but that solution creates 10 more problems of its own and then they have to create a, a try to find a solution for that and that solution creates problems and then they have a solution for that and that creates more problems and it just keeps snowballing and by the way none of the their proposed solutions are actually solutions at all they just exacerbate all these problems they're not even band-aids. I don't know what the hell you call them. It's like in the Middle Ages when the doctors would use leeches to bleed sick patients. <laughs> that that's what the government is. It, it, it's leeches bleeding the American people dry, thinking that they're making us healthier and healthier while we're actually dying a slow, painful death. But I, I mean, I I think the minimum wage is just one of the one of the dumbest economic policies. It's it's destructive. It literally is just saying that if you're not worth, you know, if you cannot provide fifteen dollars worth of value, it's illegal for you to work. That's what it's truly saying at its core. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people working at like eight nine dollars an hour don't don't view it like that, right? They view it as like, yeah, well, hey, they think they're getting a, a huge raise. They think, but. In reality, they're most likely going to get laid off. Well, I think that that probably remains to be seen. Or they'll but, never get a job in the first place. But I think one thing we can agree on is is like you can actually come up with like a market friendly solution. Yeah, let the market determine the prices. These are price controls, man. Yeah, I mean, again, I I, I suggested a way to lower a tax. You should always be supportive of that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I I am in favor of lowering any tax. I am not in favor of instituting minimum wage. So, but I gotta we gotta pay some bills real quick. So let me tell you guys about Anchor. Okay, what what else is on your docket over there? Uh, Iran. Iran. Enri- en- enriching nuclear material. So I'm just reading off an article. Iran has breached a crucial limit on the level of, of uranium enrichment set out in the 2015 nuclear deal. Iran literally is admitting this. The, yeah. the enrichment level is about 4.5%. So l- let me take this one. Yep. I think this is, I mean, I think Trump sort of makes a circus of himself in a lot of ways. I think this is one where, you know, he's just trying to undo anything Obama put his hands on, Right. Regardless of good policy, bad policy, I personally like seeing engagement with countries that are quote unquote our enemies, right? But like, let's look at the history of US and Iran, and no one likes talking about this. But for 60 years before the Iranian Revolution in 1979, right, we basically propped up a brutal dictator, the Shah. We limited democracy, which is hilarious because. You know, all we talk about is spreading democracy, 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 mm-hmm. you know, freedom, 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 free doom, whatever. And, uh, <laughs> and and so so then finally, in 1979, they have this revolution and they're like, OK, you know, we're going to kick out this dictator and his main supporter, the Americans. And then there's this huge crisis, yada, yada, yada. We become their mortal enemies. And then in 1981, for eight years, what we do is. Iran's mortal enemy, Saddam Hussein in Iraq, we support him in an eight-year brutal, brutal war against Iran. So, again, propped up a dictator, supported their you know moral enemy in a huge war that was horrible. What do you think is going to happen coming out of that war? I mean, you think they're going to just like, you know, forgive things right away? So, 
you know, along comes after many years of, of sort of like tepid, what I would say, like relations, you know, along comes Obama. He puts together this deal, like it or hate the deal that, you know, it kind of brought Iran back into the fold. It started setting the, the, the field for trade. And, you know, Trump came in and again, kind of like a wrecking ball. He's just like, Obama did it. Nope. I'm going to, I'm going to shit on it. And so I think this was a really crucial mistake. I don't really see what is going to happen next. I mean, some people say this is just a negotiating tactic for a round of a stronger hand, but I feel like there was a pretty good deal in place. And to be quite honest, someone's nuclear weapons, there's not a whole lot you can do to stop it. Considering Iran is like a very advanced economy and, a, and a, an industrial society. I mean, if they want nuclear weapons, there's nothing we can do other than outside of, of war. And we all see how that goes. I mean, I actually agree with just about everything you just said. Our, our foreign policy has been a disaster on this. And yeah, I mean, I can't blame Iran for not liking America after all the things we've done in the Middle East. And yeah, yeah Trump just definitely came in. He, there's no chance he even read that deal. Right. He didn't read it. He just tore it up. Right. And I I thought that was one of the few good things Obama actually did. I was not a big fan of President Obama. But um, I always prefer a deal over going to war. And a war with Iran is not going to be like this cakewalk thing that Iraq was. You know, the rest of the Middle East is very... You have to make big quotations on cakewalk. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's going to be a cakewalk. We'll be greeted as liberators. All this shit that they told us, right? It's all nonsense. But the the rest of the Middle East, it's very tribal. You know, they have all these little factions. And Iran has like a nation. You know, they have like a national identity, as you were saying. And so they have a professional army. So we're talking about invading a country. You know, that's not going to be... Uh, a war that we want a part of. That's not going to be an easy war. They're, they're you can't win a war. What, what, what are you trying to win? You're, you're trying to dominate another country. It's not like the people don't support their government. I mean, that you might have people against the government, but the number one way to get them like marginalized is by attacking them. You know, yeah. I don't think Iran is some like suicidal country that's just going to start launching nukes the second they get the capabilities. Everybody wants a nuclear weapons because it gives them a seat at the national table or at the, you know, the, the world table. Yeah. You know, you can start negotiating with other countries now because you're one of like the big swinging dicks. You know, you have the, you also can't be bullied as easily. So right. for instance, now they don't have a nuclear weapon. They can be quote unquote invaded. Right. Yeah. Guess what? Nuclear weapon. You can't get invaded. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I don't I don't blame them for wanting it. We're the only ones that have used these kinds of bombs before. Right. It's like, I, I, our for, I hate our foreign policy. It's a complete disaster. I don't know what Trump's plan is. Like, yeah, they say like this is 4D chess or something. I, I'm I'm not too impressed with the the great negotiator on this one. I I just hope he doesn't drag us into another war. Not only that, I mean, here's the thing, right? Look at North Korea. North Korea's got nuclear weapons. North Korea is not giving up nuclear weapons, no, okay? Nor, nor do they. they need to give up nuclear weapons, right, to us for us to have engagement. Now, do I prefer non-nuclear proliferation? Yes. Why do I prefer non-nuclear proliferation? Because you don't want these things to get into the wrong hands or to have an overzealous general, like, shoot one off a la Dr. Strangelove, okay? 
So mistakes happen. That's why you want to keep them as as few as possible. But if a country has nuclear weapons, guess what? We're going to deal with them, just like North Korea. And you want to have a relationship with them, you know, because we were we wanted to talk about you know Trump setting foot, being the first president to set foot in North Korea, and I mean I just thought it was highly irresponsible of the you know the this mainstream media just will always try to find something wrong with what Trump's doing. Yeah. And, and I don't think they realize how delicate of a situation that is. They're like, Oh, he's, he's cozying up to this dictator and like, he's a horrible person and we shouldn't be making nice with them. Yada, yada. Like you have to strike deals with these people. He's got millions of people like held hostage. Okay. And he's got nuclear weapons. So I, I, I mean, what else? What's the alternative? You know, if, right. if he can, if he can pretend to be friends with North Korea, maybe you know, maybe we can get him to loosen up some of the things that he's doing to the people in his country. It's well, a, it's not like an an endorsement of him. Well, the, you know? the whole North Korean policy is something separate. I will say, even if North Korea didn't have nuclear weapons, I think I read some statistic that like within like a few hours of war, like five million people or ten million people would be dead in in Seoul, South Korea. Because they have like such a huge stockpile of traditional weapons, non-nuclear weapons, and Seoul is right on the border of, yeah. of North Korea. So there's a lot of people's lives uh, to just like that hang in the balance, and our media is sort of like egging them on. I thought it was really unbelievable. Yeah, but yeah, when you have agreements in place, when you have trade deals, and and when you're trading between countries, you know, when goods cross borders, armies don't. And I yeah. think the one thing we should all want is for no more war to be taking place. Yeah. Well, and here's the other thing. I mean, people always talk about like, oh, China, our rival, our rival. Guess what? There's going to be no war between the United States and China in this century. Why? Our supply chains are so intertwined. Yeah. The two countries, the, the economies, the backbone can't exist without the other. Right. They're so intertwined at this point. That war is not even possible. I mean, the amount of things that we get from them and they get from them, we wouldn't even have weapons, right, without them. So it, it's pretty it's pretty incredible yeah. to think that, like... Well, they would probably be much better off because they're the ones that actually make everything. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's just, what happens when you buy all our debt, so... Yeah. So let's go back to the policy yeah. of Iran. So let's yeah. say, like, Iran... So here's an interesting question. Iran gets nuclear weapons, then what? Like... We've already we've already said there's no way we can go to war with them, right? Because it's kind of like Iraq times a country that's five times more powerful. Yeah. I mean, you basically have to destroy the country and all the people in it. Well, we could go to war with them. That that's a, the scary thing. But I yeah, I don't. I, mean, I, I will tell you, unlike did. Iraq, I think there was an appetite post nine eleven. There was yeah. that that people were fine with going to war. You know, no matter the target. I think at this point. And God help me if I'm wrong, that 80% of Americans have zero appetite for war. No, I, I don't think you're wrong on this. I think yeah. you're absolutely right. There is, it's not a, it's not a coincidence that all the um, anti-war candidates, even in, I mean, all everybody who runs for president, even George W. Bush ran on like not using the mil military to nation build. You know, uh, Barack Obama ran on running, uh, um, winding down wars, winding down the wars in Iraq. Uh, Ron Paul. He's a huge anti-war candidate. He got more support from um, active military than all the other Republican candidates combined. 
Tulsi Gabbard, the only real anti-war candidate running on the Democratic ticket. Is she still running? Did she drop out yet? No, she's still running. Okay. She was, like, after the first night of debates, granted, it was sort of like the JV squad. But yeah. she was the most searched candidate. Yeah. So I think, yeah, <laughs> she's kind of easy on the eyes. Yeah. You can say that. <laughs> oh, maybe you can't. I don't know. You want me to edit that out? Yeah, whatever. Your wife doesn't listen to the show. Um. But yeah, I, I do. I, people are tired of these wars. We've been fighting these wars for 20 years. We are no better off than we were when we started. Um, some of the kids that are fighting in these wars now weren't even alive on 9-11. Yeah. That's how long they've been going on. And that, for what? That is kind of crazy to think about. And then here's another thing. Longest wars in American the, history. The thing that's scary is, so we keep going on this theoretical. Let's say there's a terrorist attack, right? either by Iran or, or a group associated with Iran, right? Does that then change people's minds, right? Is it like, yeah. you know, 10 people on a bomb die somewhere. So all of a sudden we have to like go, you know, lose like 5,000 American soldiers and, you know, just because someone, you it's, know, bombed yeah. 10 people. I mean, it, it's probably going to depend on who's president. If Trump yeah. is president, there will be no, I mean, he'll get, obviously you'll have the neocon support. Yeah. Um, but the entire media, everybody on the left would be totally against it just because it's Trump. Right. And and that's, I mean, that's but good. But that might even that's go good to, in that case. Yeah, it might even go to him. Into, I mean, the problem is sometimes like the mainstream media, even when the, they had those those false flag, like Syrian gas attacks. Right. The, the media was like, it was the one time I saw them praise Trump when he bombed those random targets in Syria and didn't hit anything. Right. They were saying he was being all presidential and all that crap. So I, I hope that the media wouldn't, wouldn't lie us into another war or push us into another war. Yeah. But I think if we have a Democratic president and we get attacked I don't, and he, he or she wants to, wants to go to war, I don't know. Because right. they'll already have the support on the right to do it. Yeah. And then they might be able to persuade the left. I just think, yeah, I think the elements in the party, like, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, the sort of the military industrial complex is like gunning for it. Oh, right. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm sure they support both parties equally. So it'd be interesting to see. I go back to, and this is one thing I would love to change viewers perspective on listeners perspective on is Iran gets a nuclear weapon. Dude, my wife's Israeli. So fucking what? Israelis have nukes. Iran's got nukes. So fucking what? No one's using them, right? And that goes back to the, uh, you know, to mutually assured destruction, right? Yeah. The principle of mutually assured destruction, which is the principle that if Iran attacks any one of these countries with nuclear weapons, guess what? They're going to get a big nuke right back at them. Yeah, and they all know that. That's why nobody uses them. And, and then, you know, you hear some people say, oh, no, well, they're crazy religious fanatics. No, they're not. They're not. Right? No. If you look at their history, they've actually been very rational, right? Absolutely. And yeah. and if anything, you know, the one time they act, quote, unquote, crazy, it's probably just a strength in their bargaining position. Yeah. No. I mean, even think about they're enriching nuclear uranium and they announced it to the world. I mean, yeah. it's like... Well, yeah, they want they want people to know that they're a force to be reckoned with. Don't fuck with us. Right. The one time that I would personally be worried about someone developing nuclear weapons, if it was a weak state, like a weak country, right? Like if you had like Libya doing it, right? Or you had something where the, the government was not very powerful and the nuclear weapon en could end up getting in like, you know, very wrong hands. But usually in those cases... 
the central government also doesn't want it to happen, right? There's some reason it's happening otherwise. Yeah. I don't know if you can have a failed state or like a really weak state and the capabilities to yes. to create a nuclear weapon. Yes. So. North, North Korea, dude, when I was growing up, I thought North Korea was like a backwater like of farms and like nothing else. North Korea is like a very industrialized country. I mean, for as much as they oppress their own people, they have significant technology capabilities. Well, don't forget, they are still Asians. So <laughs> thing is, I don't think the people are allowed to use them. <laughs> no, I just meant like like they're industrialized. Like they, they produce yeah. things like they're very industrialized and only someone that industrialized could actually produce a nuclear weapon. Yeah. And would have the money to do it. Yeah, let's hope these tensions wind down because I think we've done enough damage to the Middle East. We've done an incredible job of destroying countries over there. Oh, we've destroyed Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria. There is an open slave trade going on in Libya right now. And the damage and the side effects are not just contained to the Middle East. All these migrant problems that they're having in Europe, Yeah, it, uh, we've displaced millions of people. It's yeah. pretty much all our fault. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And then we have the balls to be like, oh, you know, you put your you put your country too close to our drone. <laughs> Just like, or we have the balls to like tell like Germany and, and Greece like, oh, like your migrant problems. You guys let too many migrants in. Yeah. Like, yeah, what? yeah. No, this is this is all our fault. Our foreign policy has been a disaster. Yeah. Well, let's I mean, again, we don't have to go to the war on drugs and, and how we prop up. Gangs in the in Central America. Well, you wanted to talk about the border, though, right? We did want to talk about the border. I mean, can't talk about the border without the war on drugs. <sighs> yes. Well, let, let's. That's a good. That's a decent enough transition. Yeah. So well, I, I mean, a refugee is a refugee, and there's a, a root cause of refugees. So that that that's the extent of your thoughts on the subject. I mean, I mean, look, yeah, in the Middle <laughs> East, like we've got a huge refugee problem. People escaping their country. Why? Because yeah. there's basically no central authority to, to have stability, right? So what's going on in Central America? Yeah, they're being bombed and there's, you know, there's terrorist groups running around beheading people. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd get the hell out of there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't blame, if, if we want to talk about our border issues, I, I never blame people for trying to come here. Right. I would think that if I was in their situation and I had like family and kids, I would do everything I could to get them like a better life in a, in a new country. But, but what's going on at our border is, is just a complete disaster. Yeah. And I don't, I, I they, they like to blame it all on Trump. Both parties have a huge hand in this. Yeah. I, I, I think, talked a little bit about it on a previous podcast. I, I think, so. I think some of the more visible things I, I do blame on Trump. Like what? I think, well, let's put it this way. We don't know the extent of the conditions that kids are being Captain, yeah. right? We, like we don't know because no one's letting any cameras within five miles of those facilities. If they really wanted to be transparent about it, they could get like sixty minutes in there and show like, hey, it's probably really bad. It's probably worse than we think, and it probably is going to be a stain in our country for kind of a long time to come. You know, again, t- <laughs> talk about all these things like, oh, America, freedom, a mate. You know. It's like, well, like throughout history, we've done some pretty shitty things. I think this is going to be one of those. One thing I will say is that, you know, Jews fleeing the Holocaust were turned back. Like the boats were like literally turned around 
because of our policy of non-admittance. So I am sensitive to the fact of like, like we talked about refugees fleeing their country, trying to get a better life. And yeah. I mean, the difference with the World War II one is like, I wouldn't say America had direct reasons for, for those conditions happening. Whereas I'd say in Central America and Mexico, there's more of a direct correlation between like the U.S. policies and what's going on in those countries. Yeah. What's the solution going to be, right? It's easy to just be like, well, we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be doing that. Right. But I mean, if you listen to the, the Democratic platform now, it is literally like free college for everybody. Yeah. Free, you know, uh, forgive student loan debt, free education, housing, you name it. They're giving it away, right? Yeah. Free health care, Medicare for all. And now it seems like they they'd actually had a question during the debates. It was raise your hand if you want to decriminalize crossing the border. Yeah. And everybody's hand went up. Right. So you're I mean, that's essentially making it an open border policy. Yeah. And then you're expanding our welfare state to the nth degree. Yeah. Know? And that's that is not going to work. You can't. You're also increasing the labor supply and bringing prices down. Right, but you're talking about asking people to not only like support their own family, yeah. but anybody that wants to come in from anywhere in the world, pay for their their housing, their education, their health care, so, their food. Like so, that, you cannot yeah. run a country that way. So, so let, let's you get. You can't have open borders let's get and to, a huge. Let's get to the state. open border policy in in a minute. Just going back to like the kids being held. So. Well, the reason they're being held is because it's a criminal. It's a it's a yeah. You know, well, it's criminal well, whoever the knows the reason. But let, let's put it this way: I think one thing we can both agree on is there are many opportunities to show the ineptitude of government and government running shit. Absolutely, right? Yeah. And and I don't know if you call this like government run or government accountability, right, or special interests, because it's probably in all likelihood private contractors running this shit with zero accountability, a lot of special special interest influence right and whenever that happens basically what you're doing is handing over a big big blank check to these contractors to you know do a shitty job right yeah. so I, I think i think the whole border situation talks to like the ineptitude of government it's gonna be a huge stain right japanese internment that was like one thing right this is another thing this is gonna be one of these stains i think is gonna really stick with us and i think can speak to the ineptitude of government in a lot of ways, right? Absolutely, it's a failure of government. Just to address your point earlier about the private contractors, whether or not it's private contractors or it's government agents, which I, I'm pretty sure it is government agents, but it's irrelevant because when you have private contractors that are only there, that only exist in that situation to enforce government rules, government laws, government regulations, then it's it's no different than just having government agents there. Just because a private contractor is acting in a certain way given the situation doesn't mean that that's how they would act in a truly privatized environment. Because in a, in a privatized environment, they would not be existing simply to enforce government laws. Obviously, we don't have time to get into it today, but this is one of the things with private prisons. They're like, oh, these, these private prisons, they, they take a lot of heat. But you can't just have that in a vacuum. They're enforcing the government laws, the government rules and regulations. So I don't think it's fair to try and extrapolate from some hybrid government-private situation that that's how that same problem or that same issue would be treated in a privatized society. 
That's just the bone. I'll throw it all the end caps out there. Anyway, you're absolutely right. It is most definitely a failure of government. And I want to I, I just want to make the distinction between the American people and the American government. We need to break this psyche that the American people are one with the government. They are two separate things. I love America. I hate the fucking government. We're not the same. So I don't want to lump American people in with the American government and act like anything that the the government does is a reflection on us. I have nothing to do with these fucking maniacs in Washington. Yeah. Um, but are we actually, are we through with the camps though? Like the the What do you mean? Like we both agree that like it's it's a stain and yeah, I don't want I don't want people like the ineptitude. I don't want peaceful people in cages in any scenario. Yeah. Even I even if they're not in cages, right? I mean, they probably are in Well, in, I mean, yeah. like if they're not if they're not in cages, what's the difference between that and like a refugee camp? Right. You know? A tent. Right. Right. So it's like you got you have to put them somewhere. Do I think you need to separate the families and like put the kids in cages and stuff like that? Absolutely not. I I think it's terrible. At the same time, we can't have have a country with like the vision that the Democratic candidates are putting out there. Well, let, let's talk about let's talk about those policies. But just again, the kids' cages. This is government writing a big blank check, and you having like awful results because of it. I don't even think the check has anything to do with it. It's just pure government ineptitude. Yeah. So, all right, let's let's just talk about the root causes. Like people are coming here because of. Like the prospect of making, you know, much better money, having a better life, and also their own countries being like awful and kind of war torn and kind of drug fueled like hell holes, right? Yeah, we also have a very generous welfare state. I, I don't think you can overlook. Yeah, but I would say like overall immigrants, like the last 20, 30 years, like overall they're coming to this country. Most immigrants are coming because they want to work for 10 times the amount of money that they make back home. Like, dude, if they make like ten dollars an hour, or seven dollars an hour, or what, like whatever, let's take the minimum wage debate out of this. Like, if they make eight dollars an hour, right back home, they're making fifty cents an hour. They're making literally like twenty times what they make back at home. Right, or they don't even have to work and they still get twenty times what they get back home by yeah. not working here. Yeah, but I, I just I see most immigrants, and this is anecdotal, is is, is coming and working. Right, they're not they're not coming to like be like kind of. I don't know anymore. I mean, I, with the with the the rhetoric that's coming out of our government, I I don't think you can just discount the fact that even if they don't work, they're still going to have more stuff than they have in their other country. Yeah, but dude, these immigrants aren't listening to like the democratic debates. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they're speaking Spanish at these debates, man. I'm just saying, like, it's dude. These people are like they're really uneducated. You know, they're they're coming like by foot. I mean, yeah. I think I think you're giving a level of nuance. I think they hear from their family members, from their friends, you can wash dishes for 20 times what you make back at home. Maybe. And and, and by the way, if there's one thing that... So that, then we can just the, end the welfare state and then we could see. Well, the one thing I will say is if there's one thing that supports you or get, you know, keep the minimum wage low or get rid of it is, is this. Like, hey, yeah, you've got a ton of people that are willing to fill jobs, manual jobs, and they're making 20 times more than they made back at home. So that is a natural contradiction in democratic policies. As far as like, we'll all have more stuff. We'll all have cheaper goods. And, you know, imagine if you could have, you know, like you get your place cleaned. Yeah. 
Wouldn't you like to get your place clean for less money? Yeah. You know. Do I want more money? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And does everyone want more money? Yeah. 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 And so, like, when you when you artificially force businesses to pay more for things, it's just like, well, why don't we do that with um, if it's so good to overpay for labor? Why don't we do that with all the supplies that they buy? Because then they'll give yeah. more money to you know their supplier, and then their supplier will have more money. And when you think about it like that, you can really see the absurdity behind artificially raising the cost of labor, or AKA raising the minimum wage. Yeah. yeah. But by the way, can I just say something? My my cleaning guy does an excellent. He job. did do an excellent job. He does a great job. I'm yeah. very very happy with his work. Is he legal? Probably. He's been <laughs> here kidding. for a while. Yeah. yeah. No, but I mean, like, we could have nanny, like, people who have to spend a fortune on childcare could have yeah. people looking after their kids for a lot less money. Yeah. I want immigrant labor to come in. Yeah. And, and provide you want, everybody. You want open borders? Uh, not with the current government and the welfare state that we have. No. Absolutely not. And because, and especially with the the system that we have, because they're all most of these people are going to vote um, Democrat, and the Democrats are just talking about stealing from me and well, you. Well, they're not going to vote. Sure, they will. They can't. Yeah, they can. Yeah, they can. Absolutely. Why do you think the Democrats are so gung ho about getting all these people in? You think they're such humanitarians? <laughs> Absolutely not. And that's why Chicago does that thing where you don't need a you don't I mean, need an I, I mean, why do you think they're so against voter ID laws? I mean, I mean, dude, immigration's been a huge part of our country since the founding. So you can't say like, I mean, dude, it's like the most common denominator. Like, oh well, they just want it for the votes. Like, they dude, do, dude. A lot of people. Well, I mean, you, you can't. Think Nancy deni- Pelosi gives a shit about anybody at the border. I mean, you can't you can't deny that this country was built on immigration. I don't deny that. So, I mean, to say that all those immigrants vote. Yeah. But over time, again, the only natives here were like Native Americans. Right. Yeah. So Republicans are getting vote from immigrant families, too. Not. But by the the way, I will tell you, a lot of immigrants are very pro-Republican. And I mean, they hate any notion of a welfare state. Yeah. Well, definitely the ones that are escaping these socialist torn countries like Venezuela. And maybe the ones that came over legally through the labyrinth that is our legal immigration system. I'm sure they don't like a bunch of people just hopping over the border and jumping the line. But we've already seen we've already seen California be flipped. California used to be a Republican state and it's now it it, it will now be a Democratic state forever because of immigration from south of the border. And now we're starting to see Texas turning. Texas is is in play now. Right. Beto O'Rourke. Oh, my God. <laughs> almost took out Ted Cruz. That's what brought him. The, that That's his claim to fame is that he he almost beat Ted Cruz. So there is there is most definitely a reason why re- Republicans want to build a wall and Democrats want open borders. And it is 100 percent about getting a, a, a permanent voting block for the Democratic Party. They're going to promise these people everything under the sun to buy their vote. And then the next thing they'll do, you know, you're you're saying immigrants can't vote. The next thing that they'll do after they get all these people in is they'll start talking about what an outrage it is that you live in this country and you don't have a say in our democracy. And this is this is an outrage and and racist. We demand immigrants the right to vote. Boom. There you go. Now they can all vote. And, and then they're just going to vote to take away more of my freedom. 
So no, I am 100% against open borders, given our current reality. Open borders, a giant welfare state, cannot exist simultaneously. You want to get rid of the welfare state and end the war on drugs, then I couldn't care less who comes over here. I think I think that's a assumption, a few assumptions that you're making that I, I don't yeah, think... Yeah, they're correct you, assumptions. I, uh, why, why are the Democrats cause so... Because pol politics changes very quickly. I mean... Dude, George W. Bush was was very pro-immigration. I mean, he was kind of, I feel like, on the forefront. He wasn't open borders. Yeah, but he wanted a solution to the immigration problem. They all say they want a solution to everything. <laughs> Trump does yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wants to build a wall. That's his solution. Well, I meant as far as, like, integrating the people that are already here. Anyway, yeah. let's put it this way. I, I think the biggest thing right now is, is the war on drugs because what you're doing is you're building up these countries to be the hell holes that they are because of like, you know, drug gangs, illegal activity. That's what's yeah. driving the violence. That's what's driving the refugees. Absolutely. So, I mean, one thing everyone should agree on and no one agrees on is ending the war on drugs. I mean, you, you know, you probably have a few people on the far left and, you know, a few libertarians that are, are for that policy, but anyone in the middle 80% band, you know, just they can't get their head around it. And maybe with this whole marijuana relaxation thing, people marijuana, start realizing. It's a step in the right direction. Libertarians are staunchly against the war on drugs. It would be right. one of the first things that we eliminate. Right. And for good reason. It's it's a horrible policy. It's t It's been unbelievably destructive to our country and uh, all these countries in South America that are uh, like all this gang violence. And yeah, it, it's it's all due to the war on drugs. So if you eliminate that and you eliminate the welfare state, maybe I'll consider open borders. I certainly wouldn't. I'm not even saying like open borders. I mean, you can have a certain amount of immigration come through. I mean, before coming through as a refugee, that was no problem at all. Like all of a sudden it's become an issue, right? Yeah. And I don't know if it's, well, it's you because so we've many... been creating all these refugees with our war on drugs and our foreign policy. Yeah. You know? It's it's definitely a disaster of our own making. I don't think the solution can be what what the Democrats are envisioning, unless you're talking about like completely destroying the country. You're saying open borders. You can't have open borders and like the most generous welfare state the world has ever seen. Well, there are a lot of welfare states that are way more generous. Right, but not what not what they're talking about now. Not what these candidates are running on. Yeah, but but dude, they are literally running. These on refugees are going to get their college debt. Like forgiven. I mean, that doesn't target. No, but them. everybody else will. Yeah, but again, that's that, one point. That that's target. one point five trillion. Then you're talking about Medicare for all. Yeah, but again, dude, this is like this is not targeting the refugees. No, but I'm but you you can't have a country with that. We have twenty two trillion dollars in debt right now. I w I would say, and again, I'd have to look at the CBO CBO estimates. <laughs> okay. Uh, I would say probably any immigrant that's come through as a whole, like if you look at the average has probably paid for itself no as far, way no as far way. as taxes no way no because they're getting free education k through 12 is free you're yeah, telling me but through but through their taxes right but their taxes don't come close to the covering the cost of the price per student i just pulled it up in illinois now this is just illinois we spent and this is uh in 2018 thirteen thousand three hundred and thirty seven dollars per student dc and i um i looked up uh, 
a couple of weeks ago what was around 20,000 per child. I know New York is around 20,000 per student. Other, obviously other states are lower, but let's so like a family of 3 comes over, let's let's call it 10,000. That's 30 grand a year for 18 years of their you lives. You mean a family of 3 kids. A family of 3 kids. Yeah. Think of how much money you'd have to earn to pay 30 grand a year in taxes. You're talking about them washing dishes. There's no way all, there's no all, way they're paying $30,000 in taxes. Well, people who are coming over as like 22, 23-year-old single people. Yeah, what about them? Well, they don't have kids that they're putting through. Okay. Yeah. Then they can just become like the more than half of Americans that receive more in welfare benefits, social security, Medicare, Medicaid th- than they pay in taxes. That's why we're so fucked. Again, you're talking about like the entire history of the United States is that immigration. So what, what you're no, basically but, saying is like, well, we've had these handouts, but like that's basically been the story of the, the country. No, it hasn't. None of these, none of these welfare programs were in place until FDR. The, the history of the country started with immigrants coming over here with, with no welfare state whatsoever. We didn't have a big government. We didn't have minimum wage. We didn't have social security. We didn't have Medicare. We didn't have Medicaid. We didn't have a department of education. We didn't have any of this stuff. And somehow we were able to build the wealthiest country the world had ever known. That's the history of the country. The last 80 years or so, sure, welfare programs have exploded. And guess what? Poverty, the poverty rate is exactly where it was when Lyndon Johnson started his great society. We have poured more money down this rabbit hole than anybody would have ever imagined. We've spent trillions of dollars and we've got nothing to show for it except a bunch of debt. I don't know. Again, I, I think net net immigration has been like overwhelmingly a win for this country. I do think where I'm, other I'm not policy, saying yeah. right, but I'm but the idea that they're not net a, a net tax burden. And like I said, it's not just immigrants. It's all it's the vast majority of Americans too. That's the problem. There, they also pay social no security way. taxes that they can't get back. Yeah. So yeah. Like so that. do I. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, let's put it that way. They're supporting the elderly. Their social security taxes. Yeah. So they theoretically yeah. can't get back. Right. That will be another thing that the Democrats change once they get into power. They'll get them the right to vote. Then they'll make sure that they can get Social Security benefits and on and on and on. So anyway. Yeah, we got to wrap, man. We're running long. All right, man. All right. So make sure you download and subscribe. Share the show. Share it with at least two people that you think would enjoy it. One person that you think maybe just needs to hear it. It's okay if we offend them. You know, John knows that I offend people all day long. <laughs> it's one of the reasons I wanted to start this show. So I got I to gotta start offending more and more people. Um, so, yeah, download and subscribe. Give us a, a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars if you think the show is worth it. And if you want to support the show monetarily, you can go to our website, peddlingfictionpodcast.com. And every dollar that you donate goes right back into the show, helping us to deliver content for you guys and hopefully reach a wider audience. Any little bit helps to keep the lights on around here. Oh, you can follow us on Twitter. Well, it's basically just me sending memes, but you should follow us on Twitter. It's a good time. At Pedal Fiction. So if you can do all that, we will be back next week. And until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.